Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 47. Paul Shaughnessy and Cody Saftik here. Show is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook off of a one year or one week layoff here. Um, I mean, this isn't this isn't the heavyweight championship of the world, but uh, many, many great cards to come in the near future. How, how's it going, Cody? Good man, I hear you. We're back, uh, back off a one week layoff, and yeah, we're excited. It's a UFC card. What else are you gonna do with your Saturday night? Perfect, into business. <clears throat> and I seen it, I looked at it right away. I said, Soriano versus Nick Maximov as a co main event. Just run me through this real quick. You got Maximov, just this is his second fight in the UFC, and his first fight against Cody Brunridge was an absolute nail biter in terms of scoring, right? And then you got Pulliano Soriano. I thought we all agreed he was a busted prospect, he's coming off his first career loss. Has it, surely they could have found a better co-main event. And then I looked down. No, no. They they honestly couldn't have found a better co-main event. Not that saying actually Rachmanov versus Carlson Harrison is going to be pretty dope. Maybe Alvy versus Brandon Allen. But yeah, it's like a UFC owes contract fights to these guys. You sign a guy, you got to give them two or three fights a year. Mm, some of them may or may not have that. It's early into this 2022 season. Let's get it underway. And uh, yeah, it's just like a ragtag mix match bunch of fights. But... Hopefully, we can try to find a little bit of value. To me, it seems like a lot of the favorites have already been steamed up. People have already figured it out, who they like the most, and I can't disagree with it. But if we can find a little edge here or there, then it'll all be worth it, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the books are we're a little bit sharper coming into this one. A lot of – there hasn't even been all that much line movement. It's just they opened uh, – like the, I, I usually make these boards on – on like Monday, or I I I, put, I set them all up. I put the odds in and that type. But like none of these lines have really even changed since then. And when I was looking at them, I was like, oh, we'll see where they move. And it's just like they really they really haven't. So either people are not really betting on this card whatsoever yet. Maybe they're waiting for this show or other shows to come out this week, or uh, or maybe the bookies got it right. But we got the main event, Sean Strickland taking on Jack Hermanson. Sean Strickland is a minus 200 favorite. Jack Hermanson can be had for plus 170. I think it really comes down to five rounds. Um, Sean Strickland was close to 200 significant strikes in his one five-round fight that he's had. And Hermanson, you know, he can get over 100. He can get, like, 120. But I really struggle to see if this fight takes place mostly on the feet, him just competing with the sheer volume that Sean Strickland lays on him. Um, I think minus 200 is probably a pretty fair price, probably a pretty accurate price. You know, a 66% win rate for Sean Strickland, who wins by volume. Jack could maybe mix it up a little bit. Uh, Sean Strickland's wrestling rarely gets tested. Um, he, he's trained with a whole bunch of great wrestlers over the years. So the, I guess there is a bit of a quite like you go back like six, seven years. Okay. He was like taken down four times. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me right this second, but he was taken down four, four times by somebody. Maybe it was like Warley or something. Either way. Um, nobody really does take him down. I think his wrestling is pretty solid, but maybe Jack could have a bit of an edge there, but. That's probably where the, the plus 170 on the other side. I'm going to go with Sean Strickland to get the job done here, but I think the, the price is about right. What about you? 
Yeah, so that's the interesting question here because on one hand, the Sean Strickland has not been taken down in a UFC fight since Kamaru Usman back in 2017. Prior to that, Alex Garcia grounded him a few times. Garcia, that's yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you're thinking because he's able to just out muscle him, take him to the ground. Uh, Sean Strickland's got a big of a tall, lanky frame. Like maybe wrestling would be the key, but yeah, he spent so much time in Temecula, California, over with Dan Henderson and his guys. So much time now in Las Vegas. I would think his takedown defense is vastly improved. Here's the kicker, though. Nordin Taleb never tried to take him down. Jack Marshman, the Welsh boxer from the Army, never even tried to take him down. Brandon Allen, not a great wrestler, but actually, for the record, never even attempted one single takedown. Christoph Jocko, who's competent but not a good wrestler, never attempted one single takedown. Uriah Hall, I would classify him slightly less than competent as a wrestler, but never attempted to take him down. None of these guys are trying to take him down. They, they play his game, which is stand in front of him and throw heat. And that's where he fights at his best. He likes to talk trash. He likes to get loose in there. He likes to pump that jab, get that right hand. You know, he's not the biggest power puncher, but he's, he's got good accuracy. And it's the volume game. Chip away at you, run up the stretch. Hermanson, at least it's like, you know what? BJJ black belt, but good wrestler. He should be able to at least maybe force Strickland to the ground. If anybody's going to do it, Hermanson should be able to give it a shot. But I, I'm going to agree with all your points where it's just, it's cardio and it's volume down the stretch. That's what should get Jack Hermanson in trouble. If you look at his last fight with Edmund Shabazian, it's a clear case of that youth, that youth and that striking and that, you know, that fast start. And Jack, 33 years old, maybe he's slowing it down a little bit. Shabazian looks live in that first round, man. But of course, classic Edmund Shabazian, he starts to fatigue. Once he starts to fatigue, Jack Hermanson takes over. It's the fight prior against Marvin Vittori that's key to me, where Jack Hermanson has a good start, and he gets his wrestling going early against Marvin Vittori. He's able to take him down. He's able to have a little bit of success. It's a five-round fight. Marvin Vittori had never been in a five-round fight. It was his first time. And the later the fight goes, it's Vittori's pressure in his in his volume. It eventually just tires Hermanson. Now his his wrestling, not quite as effective. He's He's got an inability to get the fight to the ground. Therefore, he's forced to stand, and Vittori edges him out, wins down the stretch. Good performance for Marvin Vittori, <clears throat> but it was all about taking him down the stretch on the five rounds. And I think Sean Strickland would do it pretty similar. So I'm picking Sean Strickland, minus 200, greatest price tag. No, no, especially because... The unknown is the wrestling. The overset at four and a half, might as well just take, do you think the fight's going to go the distance or not? I would lean towards yes, but of course, five rounds is a long time to work with. So uh, the pick's going to be Sean Strickland. I will take him by decision, but kind of hesitant on that part so far. Mm-hmm. Yep, sounds like we're on the same page. Moving on down, we've got Punahele Soriano taking on Nick Maximov in the co-main event. The co-main event that Cody kind of poked holes i mean this this is a, a prelim like an early prelim fight really on that any other card it doesn't i mean the the next card that we talk or the next fight that we talk about it has my juices flowing a lot more than this one but puna is a minus 190 favorite maximov can be had for <laughs> plus 160 maximov in that uh in that fight with brundage the stand-up looks big time like a work in progress like he looks he looks very, very green. He's only 23 years old, so cut the kid some slack. Um, some of his grappling transitions looked pretty solid. Um, he was looking, he was looking like a 185 pound Ronnie Yaya in that third round, bro. Just grabbing <laughs> onto the leg, holding on for dear life. Like it was not great. Now, Puna, uh, he, you know, I, I got bit by it last time out. Um, I thought he was going to be able to continue his knockout streak. The guy's got power in his hands. He was, you know, a, a high a high school standout in wrestling. So 
if he can keep this fight upright, I think he absolutely torches Maximov. But then the problem becomes maybe Max Hubs, Maximov's got like crazy, crazy durability. And we just don't really know about it. He's 7 0. He hasn't really fought anybody of like great potential. He did get a little bit rocked against, against Cody Brundage. Um, maybe if he's able to survive late, Soriano starts falling apart again, starts gassing, you know, when that finish doesn't present itself in the first seven and a half minutes or so. I'm, I'm hard pressed to not pick Soriano still in this spot though, because I just think if Nick is flopping for legs, if he's not able to get this fight to the mat, and I think he's going to struggle more to get uh, Soriano to the mat than he did against Brundage, it's going to be a long night for him. So Soriano for me, what about you? Yeah, again, again, I'm going to agree. And it's not because it's anything against Nick Maximov. I just feel like we don't know enough quite yet. I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy that fought in the contender series as a heavyweight. Like he weighed in at 209 pounds from the 209, by the way, representing weighs 209 pounds for a heavyweight fight against a dude that was like 250 plus and wins, you know, comes to the UFC short notice and beats Cody Brunridge. And, and therein lies what we don't know about him is like his, his wrestling. I think he wrestled out of like Clockmas uh, community college. He does have a collegiate wrestling background and he can wrestle and his BJJ is good. BJJ black belt, slick grappling. That's where he does his best work. It's whether or not his wrestling is going to be good enough to get this thing to the ground. Cause what we've seen from his striking defensively, he's a bit of a liability. Like he likes to get, not likes to get hit. He gets hit. He walks forward. His hands are fairly low. And he tries to fight, force the fight to the ground. But in that last, the last time out that we saw him against Cody Brunridge, he, according to the fight metric numbers, landed 14 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. So a lot of it's getting his wrestling going, getting the fight to the ground, using these slick transition, uh, transitions, trying to get to the back, trying to score points that way. But it's not like he's doing a whole lot of damage. Where Soriano's definitely got the striking advantage. Power advantage for sure. Like we know the guy's a power guy. But beyond that, he's just got the crisper technique. He'll throw, not necessarily in combinations, but he'll set up that big right hand. He's got, you know, better options to go to need be. Uh, I think he wins that way. As far as the wrestling goes, I give the advantage to Maximov, but I don't think I give it by that much of an advantage that I can be sure that he's going to get this fight to the ground. Here's the worry. If he does get the fight to the ground in the first round, he's fresh, right? Mm -hmm. He's 23 years old. It's the UFC. He's got his debut out of his way, right? So sophomore outing, which is always better for them. He took that debut on short notice, right? So this is going to be hopefully better for him. You go out there and you secure a takedown in the first round and you make him work with all these nasty ground transitions. You know, you're passing, you're causing him to defend. You're looking to take the back, looking to get a choke going. All this stuff would cause Soriano to work and Soriano gasses because he tends to gas. Tickets are gone, baby. They're gone. You're done Done in the coming event. Because yeah. that's my issue with Soriano. He just my doesn't issue with seem Maximov. to have the cardio. I don't know if Maximov has the cardio either, though. Fair, fair. A wrestle-heavy um, game shows in both of his fights that we've seen at, at the UFC level that round three gets gets dicey for him. I mean, yeah, we're going to throw out the contender series. He was fighting some fat tub of lard. Like, it was... He, he shouldn't have huge. even been in that match anyway. Huge. But Brundage yeah. round three... Like, Brundage had him... He was slamming him in round three. Like things, things were looking dicey. He, you know, he cut him open. I don't know. I think Soriano's cardio was probably worse, but I don't think Maximov's cardio is like some special gift from the heavens. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No. Listen, it does make sense. He was tired his last time out, and truth be told, 
I scored the fight for Maximov, slight edge, but I know a lot of people that disagree with that personally. A lot of people did score the fight for Cody Brunridge. I'm just going to the fact that he's young. It was his first fight in the UFC. He got brought in to fight Carl Roberson, and then the last second they're like, no, you're not fighting Carl Roberson. You're fighting Cody Brunridge. Well, Carl Roberson's a tall, lanky kickboxer who doesn't have a great ground game. You know, stylistically, it's a great matchup for Nick Maximov. Now, all of a sudden, you're taking on Cody Brunridge, who's a guy who wrestled collegiately, a guy who's pretty good grappler a guy whose wife also fought in the ufc like it's uh it, it, it's it's a totally different matchup i i, I think i'm the pick is soriano pick is soriano here's the here's my only thing i'm laying out where did we go wrong where did i go wrong the last first ufc cards of the year right i'm not doing a good enough job of identifying who's potentially the apple pie shitter right because it's gonna happen so far we've got main event underdogs have hit in both ufcs main event underdog ryan bader hit in the bellator Main event underdog hit in the Eagle FC card. Sergey Haritanov v. Tyron Spong. There's, there's a lot of these dog opportunities, and it's coming down to that one advantage. And what's mm-hmm. that advantage? The ground game. Brian Bader, he, he utilizes a superior ground game. Haritanov just tripped him to the ground, right? Francis Ngannou didn't even know the guy could wrestle. Turns out he can. And speaking of that, Paul Shaughnessy, oh, you can't yeah. wrestle, you can't fight. I made a bet with you. I made a bet with you that... Uh, uh, apparently, that. apparently, Cyril gone. Some great fighter, some great striker. What a guy! Five round cardio, take him to deeper waters. Output from the outside, big cage, Paul. These things matter in MMA. Um, you would have told me. I think Francis Ngannou is just going to take him, and I'll bleep myself on this one. Russell bleep him over the, you know, the down the stretch in the championship rounds. I called you a liar, Paul Thomas. You said this one's for you, my but friend. Ooh, son of a bitch. Yeah, nobody thought uh, Nurmer, Nur, uh, <laughs> Frankie Murderov was going to show up. What a hero. What type of kicks are you rocking there? I guess I shouldn't be asking you any questions while you're, uh, while you're consuming. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Little left. Oh, nice. Here's some foam. No, no cheating there. He didn't take a round off, people. He didn't take a round off. You know what kind of kick it is? It's a wrestling shoe. Because Francis Ngannou clearly wore a pair of these. And Cyril Gon thought it was going to be a striking match. Uh, we, we, we don't even Good need stuff, to talk man. about you gotta that. You got to take fo- your medicine sometimes. We and, don't even need uh, to talk about case- that fight because people will just freak out about whether Gon went for a heel hook or not. So, Yeah, well, we can, we can move on. The pick's going to be Soriano. Just don't know how much I love it is the main thing because his cardio is suspect and cardio is the biggest weapon in MMA. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, all right, we got Shavkat Rachmanov taking on Carlston Harris. Minus 235 Rachmanov, plus 190 Harris. What's your take here, Code? Okay, I'm actually a little bit torn on this one. So in one case, I love Rachmanov. This is my boy. Comes over from M1 Global. He looks like a terrorizer. Just nice striking, smooth grappling, good wrestling. He's one of these Kazaki fighters that is just physically strong. Like what I see out of him. He debuts against Alex Oliveira. Uh, keep in mind, he's debuting in the UFC against Cowboy, an established star, and he's favorite right off the get-go. So I think people already read into his talents and his potential level. And, of course, he chokes out Cowboy Oliveira in the first round. Did he have some spots in that fight where he's getting pressed up against the cages and that? Listen, he choked out a bonafide UFC veteran, a guy that had some big wins under his resume in his debut first round. I thought it looked pretty good. Last time I got Michelle Prezeris, it's much of the same. It's like a passing of the torch. You know, Rachmanov is one of these future of the sport kind of guys. 
he's not super young. I think he's what 27 years old, but six foot one, long frame, knows how to utilize it, you know, picking up skills. Guys are born martial artists, like they're gonna start picking off these old guard, but he's taking on savvy veterans of the game and picking up these nice, legit wins. Rachmanov, someone I'm looking to back in future matchups, like this guy. And then you get Carlson Harris. I love what I see out of him. So at 34 years old, you and I talked about this when he made his debut. He's not really a prospect. He's already somebody with an established skill set. When you look at some of his wins, Thiago Vera, Carl Booth, Wellington Termon, uh, Michelle Pereira, th these guys are gone on to big show contracts. You know, A few of them fight in the UFC. A few of them fight uh, overseas in bigger, bigger organizations. But that's all wins on the regional scene. He was legit when he comes over to the UFC. Uh, chokes out Christian Aguilera. And then the Impa-Kazanganai fight, right? You and I backed him. He's a short-money underdog. But, man, this guy's a problem. Mm -hmm. Six feet tall. He's got like a 76, 77-inch reach. Long arms. Power striking. Sets up that right hand. Does a tremendous amount of damage. But he's got sneaky good grappling as well. He's just a problem. He's one of these guys that's going to be underrated a lot of the times and comes in with a legitimate skill set. So if I was to get a plus 190 price tag on it, if you're to get a good price tag on him, and in this fight in particular, it's, it is plus 190, I would just think this guy's a live underdog against most of the division. It just so happens that he's taking off Rachmanov, who maybe one don't of the really better prospects we've seen yeah. in a while. Yeah, so you've got prospect killer versus prospect. Now, how much faith do you put in prospect? How good do you think he is? Go back to the Cowboy fight. I mean, Cowboy has some success inside the clinch. So if a bigger, stronger, good grappler can have success in that area and then have better pace than Cowboy and actually have that the continuation of the fight, yeah, they're, they're going to be live. Carlson Harris is a big, strong, physical, good guy with good grappling. It's the unknown about the cardio. So as of now, I'm backing Rachmanov. But again... Where, where have I been getting burned is having too much faith in these guys where the opponent is completely live and I can't overlook the skills of, of Carlson Harris. So I am backing another favorite here in, in, in Rachmanov, but uh, not going to be right at the high uh, part of the list, even though uh, I got a lot of faith in this guy's skills. Yeah, kid's got a lot of skills. He's got a great future ahead of him, but this could be maybe a little bit too much too soon. We'll see. Um, Harris has a great ground game, so if it goes down there, um, things could at least be interesting. Um, and, and on the feet, Harris just has a lot more uh, tools in the shed, I think, at this point. Uh, anybody who's watched the show since the absolute beginning, out of nowhere, me, me and Kent, main event Kent from back in the day, rarely ever talk about really MMA or picks or anything like that at all. He just wrote to me, Shavkat is a future title challenger, I think. So Nice. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see if main event Kent has his uh, finger on the pulse for uh, Shavkat versus Carlston Harris. All right, moving on down the card, we got Brendan Allen taking on Smiling Sam Alvey. Al uh, Brendan Allen coming in on short notice uh, when your boy. I mean, this was going to be a really frustrating. Um, we, we, everyone was going to have a Sam Alvey by knockout ticket. Uh, coming into this, coming into this fight, and then Alvy would probably like throw like seven strikes and right. and you know uh, and Phil Haas somehow win a decision, and we would all you know all of our tickets would have went up in foot. This is a they they lined this fight pretty much the exact same. Maybe I don't know what's what's Brennan Allen been up to. Is he in shape? He must be in shape if he's making 185 pounds on 
literally a week's notice. He must have been like staying ready for a fight. Um, this is a much harder matchup, in my opinion, than uh, than Phil Haas was, and they're pretty much giving you the same price. It's minus four hundred um, out there on the market. I don't even think DraftKings Sportsbook at the time of this recording even has a price on this fight, but I wanted to have something to talk about for it. Um, how does Alvy win here? What does Alvy do to win against? Against Brandon Allen. What's his path to victory? Yeah, what is his Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Well, it, it, in in my humble opinion, I think his path to victory would be Brandon Allen. Look at his last fight with Chris Curtis, for example. Okay. So he goes out there with his game plan of he wants to grab Chris Curtis, his much smaller man down, wrangle him to the ground. He doesn't want to strike with him. He just wants to get this fight to the ground. He shoots first takedown attempt, not bad. Lifts Curtis up, completes the takedown. And for two seconds, Curtis pounces back up. Second takedown attempt, nowhere close. Now he needs to strike. And within moments, the shots that hit him hurt him, and he falls apart. When he fought Sean Strickland, who's now headlining this card, and another absolute beast. Both these guys are way better than Sam Alvey. I'm just saying, when he fight Sean Strickland, it's the same thing. He just ran in there, face forward, wanted to throw down with him, got hit with a couple good shots, and the longer the fight goes, his game plan kind of falls apart. He might be a bit of a front runner. He might be one of these guys that goes out, tries to finish in the first couple rounds, and relies on his wrestling against subpar competition. Now, Sam Alvey getting older, He's rocking like a what? Is it a seven fight winless streak? That's seven, unbelievable. Seven nice. fight winless streak. He knows where the, the bodies are buried, winless. Cody. He knows. He hasn't he won knows a something. fight in nearly. Yeah, he hasn't won a fight is, since June 2018. Like three and a half years. This guy's not and, got his hand raised in the octagon. And his, Actually, like, the his draw base rate. Hands, his base right? rate for his contract too is like it's like seventy thousand dollars to show. Like it's not like he's like cheap either. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. He's got like eight kids. Like, it's possible that they feel for him, and he's yeah, he's maybe. a company guy. He's willing to step up and take a fight. He, but again, he has done that at, historically. But eventually, you're kind of like, what are we doing? What yeah, are we doing yeah. here? When I was thinking about guys that could possibly step in and be a better co-main event, I thought, geez, Brandon Allen versus Sam Alvey. This could be fun. This could be a better co-main event than what they're presenting. And yeah, ultimately, you've got Brandon Allen's coming off a pretty devastating defeat to my boy, the action man. And you've got Sam Alvey hasn't won a fight in almost four years. My God. So, yeah, listen, is it priced accordingly? Clearly, Brandon Allen should be the favorite. But Brandon Allen, again, is wrestling. Might not be good enough to take down Sam Alvey, who's had historically strong takedown defense. Uh, the striking, Brandon Allen's got volume for days. And as far as the technique, a little bit crisper. He's got the leg kicks going for him as well. But Sam just doesn't throw – he made a career out of this. Doesn't throw punches, doesn't throw punches, doesn't throw punches, lets two or three go, and then one partially connects, one lands flush, boom, you're in a lot of trouble. Could that could that be his path to victory? Well, Paul, I think that's his only path to victory. So I am signing with Brandon Allen. Um, and, but I, I don't, I'm actually just shocked that Alvy still got a job with the UFC and Enrique Barzola is released from the promotion. Like, you know, it's such a crazy world that we live in. Real talent gets released from the promotion. And Sam Alvey's the man. Don't get me wrong. Again, company guy. It's just there's levels to this. One guy's a top contender in the world. And one guy's on a seven-fight winless streak. By the way, that streak involves uh, names that Sam Alvey probably should have been. You know, I'm not. it's not the strongest list of competitors out there. Uh, he's got losses to... No, Noguera. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Irrelevant. Uh, Noguera. Uh, Clitson Abreu. Ryan Span. Dong Jung Draw was just a god awful. Julian Marquez choked him out. Wellington Terman's last fight. Like, 
Well, this is mid-level, man. So Brendan Allen's got a lot of uh, pressure, I think, because he needs to do something. But I think he should win. Yeah. This fight is at two oh five. Uh, upon further confirmation, so that's that makes more sense because I was like, how is Brendan Allen gonna cut down to 185? Like he must have just been like ready within striking distance of 185. But on UFC or on ESPN's website, it's listed at light, light heavyweight, and Tapology has it listed at uh, 205 now too. You know what? That probably favors Sam Alvey because one at two oh five, he should be able to stuff Allen's takedowns. Like honestly, I'm not 100 percent sure Allen's going to be able to go out there and wrestle him. So this becomes a striking battle. And I think if you're Sam Alvey, you know this is it, right? Do you think they let him go in an eight fight on winless streak? Like this has got to be it. He's got to go out there and just let his hands go and do something. It's it's possible that he does that, but yeah, and that's not enough for me to switch the pick. Some narrative. Not enough. I think Brandon Allen is the uh, younger, spryer, faster, quicker guy. He just needs to show up. Short notice, hopefully that doesn't affect the gas tank because that's that's the one area I think he could lose him for this fight. Yep. You just, yeah, get those first two rounds when Alvy's just backing up and hold on. But, I mean, Alvy, his team, you know, he trains with Strickland quite a bit. He trains with uh, Chris Curtis, I believe, quite a bit. So they're very, very familiar, at least, with Brendan Allen as an opponent uh, around those parts. Uh, Moving on down, we've got Treshawn Gore taking on Brian Battle. Minus 160 Gore, plus 140 Battle. This is what was supposed to be the ultimate fighting champion, or the ultimate fighter finale, and Gore had to pull out. So we're, it's, you know, Battle ends up winning the ultimate fighter, but this is the fight that needed to happen, so I'm happy that it's going to happen. Do you have a... Hard lean in this one, Cody. Honestly, don't have a hard lean at all. This is the one fight I want absolutely no part of. Brian Battle was a good amateur. He's got wins over Impa Kinsanganai and Cody Brunridge, both two UFC future UFC veterans in the amateur ranks. But yeah, as a pro, he just didn't really fight all that much. Comes on to the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, got, he has a win over Cameron Lachmanov, who's a decent prospect. He's got a win over Andre Petrovsky, who's in the UFC. You know, good wrestler, collegiate guy. Like That's a good win. And he was supposed to fight Trejan Gore, and then they put in Gilbert Urbina. So I'm all in on Brian Battle. Like, this is the pick of the card. And he he won, but he didn't look good at all, man. I just don't have a whole lot of faith. I think these guys are very green, very raw still. Gore, meanwhile, he's 3-0, and right? He's, he beat Robert Hale as an amateur, so he was a good amateur as well. Uh, I think he's got, like, a split decision win as a pro. Three, three pro fights, what experience does he have? But you get on the Ultimate Fighter, you beat a couple guys in a very odd setting, right? You're living in a house with your competitors. There's no TV. Your regular coaches aren't there. Your regular training partners aren't there. Your wife's not there. Your kid's not there. You're like, what a what a real like the best guy's not always going to show out. I don't think. But Gore looks fine on the show, I suppose. And then it pulls out of this fight. Hasn't done anything since. So slighted. I, I thought Gore initially when we broke down the fight prior to uh, Urbina stepping in, it was like, yeah, Gore seems to be the better of the two like i think gore probably goes out there better athletic fighter gets the job done you know don't want a whole lot of interest in it back then but gore's the rightful favorite i see they relined it gore's the favorite i feel like i would be more inclined to take brian battle at this point he's already made his ufc debut he's got uh, the recent fight of the two and again i mean he's a fairly tough scrappy guy like i think he could pull it off but honestly this is a, a weak card to begin with and this is the one fight that's like i would say i'll oh, take my money you know i want some action it's i don't really care about this fight you don't uh don't, I don't really want a whole lot of action on it. 
That seems fair enough. All right, I bet you don't want action on this unless you're going for the underdog. Got Julian Arosa as a minus 300 favorite taking on Steve Ocho Peterson. This is nuts. But, I mean, how do you beat Julian Arosa? You knock him out. And Steve Peterson just, he's not that guy, bro. I mean, he, what, he has like the one spinning back fist uh, knockout a little ways back against uh against Martin Bravo. Bravo back in 2019. Uh win over Chase Hooper. He did what he had to do. He exploited, you know, a kid <laughs> yeah. that a kid that really shouldn't be fighting. I've I've said this publicly multiple times. Chase Chase Hooper got rushed to the UFC and really doesn't have the skills to compete against people. So Arosa is super, super long. I, I understand why he's the favorite here. It's just incredibly startling. Yeah, Steve Peterson doesn't typically have power, and that's how you really beat Julian Arosa is you put his lights out. And all of the other intent, like volume and, and length and reach and the, the grappling on the ground should at least be competitive, uh, all, all leans towards Arosa. So I, I think Arosa wins, but... Uh, you 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 basically you set yourself an early grave if you are getting too invested in juicy j at minus 300 sorry to yc Lindsay if he's listening he's probably not but um his favorite guy uh I, i'm sure he's loading up on juicy j this week but uh, i will not be touching minus 300 on julian arosa i never will yeah, yeah. Well, sadly, you know, got to play some of these spots. And yeah, it should be minus 300. That's yeah, a big price tag for sure, especially for a guy that has chin issues. And Julian Rosa has chin issues. I think we can all agree about that. But I mean, he's, he's way better, I think, than Steven Peterson. He should ha have him outgunned in all the spots. There was a time where he's this chinny fighter you can't have any reliability on. And the first punch that hits him going to knock him out. But man, he's just come back into the UFC with an absolute vengeance. Sean Woodson fight. He's a plus 350 underdog. So he now he's the minus 300. He knows how it is to be the big underdog. Goes out there against Sean Woodson. Takes a beating early, but comes back. He's got, I wouldn't say infinite cardio, but he's got a very, very deep gas tank. Great volume. Striking's on point. His wrestling, not half bad. His grappling, pretty slick. Comes out there late, chokes out Sean Woodson, who started to fade. Even though Woodson's known for great strike and great gas tank. Uh, it was a phenomenal performance by Rosu. Cashes a plus 350 ticket. He takes on my boy, Nate Landwehr. Again, he's another underdog against Nate Landwehr, rightfully so. Nate train going to run through this guy. Not the case. Like, Arosa flying knee just attacked him. Beautiful technique. I'll call it one a lucky strike, you know? It wasn't the complete beating that the Woodson fight was. Uh, it was just a lucky strike, sure. The Charles Jordan fight comes in plus 165 underdog. His third underdog ticket. It's the same thing. That That is a complete performance. He just took everything Jordan had and gave it right back tenfold. Chopped up the leg. Better striking accuracy. Put the pressure on him. And he takes these guys into deep waters. That's what they're known to do. Jordan is known for striking. Known for infinite cardio. Woodson is cardio. Both of them, ironically enough, I think he lands 103 strikes on the dot, right? It's like he's drowning them into these third rounds and putting a pressure. His problem is his chin. If you chin check, this guy's going to be a problem. But both the Woodson and the Jordan fight, eventually he just gets tired of beating them, takes them down, and chokes them out. You see, he's training full-time about Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. He's made a lot of improvements to his ground game. His wrestling's not half bad. And I feel like that's Steven Peterson's only path. If it stays standing, Peterson averages, what, 50, 60 significant strikes landed throughout 15 minutes? Okay, well, what about Peterson's wrestling? Not half bad. Peterson actually lands takedowns in pretty much all of his fights. But... Chase Hooper, he lands the one takedown, and it's Hooper. 
Martin Bravo, nothing there, but it, it's Martin Bravo. Bruce Leroy, he lost the Leroy fight on on volume. Got a couple takedowns, unable to do much with it. And then the longer the fight goes, he's the shorter guy. You know, he's throwing bombs, but he's from the outside. He's just not able to close the distance enough for my liking. It, it all adds up to a Julian Arosa play. But yeah, minus 300 for a guy with his history, I, I completely understand. You know, it's not exactly the kind of thing you're running to the, to the bookie to say, take my bet. You know, like I, it, it's a bit of a risky proposition. Yeah, it's not a stone cold lock. Anyway, yeah, Matt, Julian Rosa, we can juicy move, J lock. We can move on. We got Miles Johns taking on John Castaneda, minus 190 Johns, plus 160 Castaneda. What's your take here? Yeah, some point, uh, some point, I don't want to force an underdog, but we're gonna have to get an underdog in. And I don't know if maybe if we pull the trigger on the John Castaneda type, it's nothing against, uh, it's nothing against Miles John. I think he's a phenomenally talented guy. It's just he kind of seems at times. Like he's his own enemy. He just, he'll make like a mental lapse. He'll have like a bad ring IQ moment. And it kind of turns the fight in his opponent's favor. I thought he started off really good against Cole Smith. But again, he just shoots a bad takedown, gives up his back. Cole Smith's able to take his back and then, you know, hold him in a really bad position for the majority of the round. He rallies late, but his cardio is not, it's good. But everything he does takes a lot of uh, fast twitch muscle, right? Everything he's doing is go, go, go it kind of tires him out a little bit. It's almost like a Tony Gravely. Like he's got all the technique. He's got that explosiveness, but that explosiveness is going to take a tax on his body. So I thought that the Cole Smith fight, even though he won, he was taxed a bit. The Richie Santiago fight on, on Cadena series, same thing. The Mario Batista fight, he's, he starts off well. He does extremely well early, but then again, he gets smashed by a flying knee and gets caught. And then the two wins since then, Kevin Atividad and Anderson Dos Santos, they're the kind of wins where he can showcase all of his skills and not have to really worry about much in return. So a guy like that's going to look good. And he did look good. And now you're getting him coming in as a favorite over Castaneda, maybe a little bit too big of a favorite. Castaneda is tricky. Trains out of a pretty good gym. He seems to have some decent enough power. And it seems like he can go a hard 15 minutes. So, you know, I, I guess when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm thinking to myself, which are the underdogs that have a chance, Castaneda is one of them. Because... Yeah, yeah, Miles John should win the fight on the basis of his wrestling. Good striking, strike, 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 mix in that takedown. Strike, 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 mix a takedown. But to keep a tight game plan going for 15 minutes gets away from a lot of these guys. And if he makes a mistake, Castanaro should be able to work his way back into it. So, yeah, this is probably a closer fight than the lines dictate. And uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to pull the trigger on it necessarily right now, but yeah, I am looking at John Castaneda as a, as a live underdog compared to some of these other guys on the card. And he's a very, very popular underdog, it seems right now. Just like when you look across the market, uh, most books opened up John's at like minus 250. And money has been tumbling in on Castaneda, who's like plus 160 to plus 180-ish across the market. Um, it makes all it all makes a lot of sense to me. It's just like John's just really doesn't his volume is horrible. Like it is, what he throws like 50, 60 strikes typically in like a three round fight. It's just like those are the kind of the guys that they can get edged out. And if you're getting good, well, yeah. So eighty against uh, Anderson Dos Santos, forty eight against Kevin Natividad. He did get a he did get third round finishes in both of those fights. In fairness, but. Yeah, uh, 31 significant strikes against Cole Smith. Like, that's how you lose. That's how you lose as a, you know, two-to-one favorite. It's like if you throw 40 significant strikes, only land 40 significant strikes, 
you're giving a underdog opponent uh, plenty of room to uh, to pull the upset. So I'm leaning with you. I've got uh, I'm going with Castaneda as well. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Just bet $5 to get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code DOP for Doug or Pass Podcast, DOP, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text TN Redline. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-H-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. We got Hakeem Dewadu taking on Mike Trezano. Minus 180 Dewadu, plus 155 Trezano. Who you got here? I think this is another live underdog spot in Trezano, only because it's going to be a striker versus striker battle. I give the striking edge to Hakeem Dewadu in that he's a little more technical and you know, the guy is just a physical specimen. Like, he, he's, he's got the Muay Thai credentials. The guy competed at a fairly high level. And then as far as his run in MMA goes, like, he, he's pretty tight, technical sound. He's shown off, like, a, a weak-ish chin early on. But since then, I mean, he's made a proper adjustments. It's that I don't love his volume. And with Trezano, he's a head-forward guy. He's going to come at you. He's got decent striking in his own right. Is it as good as Hakeem Dewadu's? No. But if he stays in his face and pressures him the entire time and slightly edges him off on volume, he's going to make this a live fight. If it's a live fight, two strikers going at it, probably goes to decision, could be a competitive close decision. That's when you're paying 2-1 to one on, on Hakeem Dewadu. You, you might not love it. Mm-hmm. But again, I think Hakeem Dewadu, the fights to highlight, would say be well, his, his last number, right? The Julio Arce fight, striker versus striker. He lands 55 significant strikes over 15 minutes. It's just low output. What he does land hurts and causes Arce to you know back off from him for the most part. But a guy that's just reckless and a, and a forward pressure fighter could get to him, could break a guy like that. Zuberto Hugov fought a real bad game plan, man. Just like very hesitant, did not want to engage him. And again, it's another low striking affair. They're both split decisions, right? Both of them are split, which means at least one judge believes the other man to lose. So Hakeem, you want to bet this guy, you want to get behind him. It's probably going to be on his end, a low striking affair that goes to decision and is up in the air. You get burned on fights like that. Just like Benson Henderson versus Mamadov. We talked about this on the Bellator preview show is that you knew it was going to be close and competitive and these split type of decision type fights because Benson's in them all the time. And Mamadov, he's in them a lot as well. So even though you think one guy is the favorite, you do agree with it, the pricing is just off because you know it's going to be competitive. 
I like what I see out of Trezano. I think that he's got better volume than Hakeem Dewadu. I think it's going to be a close competitive fight. Just don't agree with the price tag. I think a great thing for him when he fought uh, his last fight against Ludovic Klein, Ludovic Klein moved over to Sanford MMA. He's known as this European whiz kid, you know, great experience under his belt, smooth striking. Now that he's with Henry Hoof, sky's the limit for him. Perfect. Gets in there against Trezano. Trezano turns him to a wrestler because he didn't like that forward pressure. He decided, you know, I don't want to strike with this guy anymore. Relies on his wrestling. Trezano ends up winning the fight. Hakeem's not going to try to take him down. Mm. He'll stand his ground. It'll be a good competitive close fight. But in that, probably going to go to decision. And in that decision, who are the three judges? What did they like? Did they like the precision and the better strikes landed from Mean Hakeem? Or did they like the overall volume and pace and the chasing around of Mike Trezano? So, again, if we're looking for another potential underdog, at least from what I see, I would think Trezano is another one of these uh, live underdogs that, no. that, that's got a potential, potentially a chance. Both of these guys are just historically in insanely close fights and fights that the yeah. judges, it's not even about whether you think that it's, it's, they give the illusion to the judges that it's very, very, very close in their fights. And you want to be holding plus money tickets when these things, when you're shaking in your boots, my holding a minus 400, or in this case, a minus 180 Dewadu tickets, like you would prefer to have the plus money ticket. All of these things type of kind of even out over time, typically, right? So you want to be taking the uh, the plus money there. I couldn't agree more. All right, we got Mark Andre Barrio taking on Chidi, Chidi Bang Bang, uh, Andrew Kawani. That's his nickname, Pat. I can hear Pat uh, laughing in the background. Uh, that is his nickname. That is his nickname. Minus one twenty, Mark Andre Barrio plus one hundred, Andrew Kawani. What's your take here? Poor Njikwani has to watch his brother Anthony get uh, absolutely shit-kicked over in uh, Eagle FC. So, yeah, I don't know how he rebounds this, making his big UFC debut. I, I, I like Chidi. I've always liked Chidi. 33 years old, finally making that Octagon debut. It's nice to see. I'm just not 100% sure what to think. Like, Chidi was always the less talented of the two. He's a good striker. I mean, he comes from a Muay Thai base, just like Anthony. Fought Simon Marcus to a competitive enough draw. I didn't think it should have been a draw, but... All the same, right? Competitive fight once upon a time. The guy's got good striking skills. His problem is, is that he kind of has a bit of a cardio issue. I mean, if you hear any interview from him, he's just a very raspy sounding guy. I don't know if he's getting air into those lungs, but he's got a big long frame. He can get taken down and he doesn't seem to have the greatest cardio going. That's usually been his downfall. His losses show Andre Korshkov. He's able to take him down, get his ground and pound going, knock out Chidi, right? Korshkov's done. John Salter, high-level BJJ black belt, is able to take him down, rear naked choke, first round. The half-hour Carvalho fight, Chidi and Jaquani missed weight, came in at like 189.5, looked awful, loses the fight. And then somewhere along the line, he himself gets awarded his BJJ black belt. And somewhere along the line, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say turns a corner, but his last two fights, he's looked good. His uh, fight with Christian Torres, Christian Torres is not much to write home about, but his cardio looked much improved. His striking's always been pretty good. He puts a pace on him. Then that contender series fight against Mario Souza. It's an even money pick. Souza looks like a decent enough prospect, but Chidi and Jaquani beat him pillar to post at everything. His striking was infinitely better. His cardio was infinitely better. His ground game was infinitely better. He did whatever he wanted to him. It was a very impressive fight. And it's enough to get Chidi and Jaquani that UFC contract. So on one hand, I got a guy who's 33 years old. His career's never really panned out, right? Bellator releases him. It looks like he's starting to get to that tail end of his career, and he's on a career resurgence because he beats two not-really-known-level guys. 
Not not the not the biggest coming into this one. He does struggle to make that 185 limit, and even though he can make it. Barrio's a big guy, dude. Like, if you have any type of cardio problems, Barrio's going to tax it because he wears on you. He does mm-hmm. come forward. He does like to pressure his opponent. He likes pushing you back towards the cage and have you fight off of it. Even in these clinch exchanges, you know, he wears heavy on him. If the fight was to hit the ground, believe it or not, I think the advantage goes to Chidi and Jaquan. He's a BJJ black belt. If he's on top, he's going to be very good in this fight. If he's on his back, Probably not nearly as effective, but, you know, he's not a complete fish out of water for a Muay Thai practitioner. When the fight stays standing, Chidi's way more refined. He's way more polished. Stays at the outside. You get his kick game going. How does he fight off of his back foot is the real question. And that and that's and that's the real question. That's what Mark, he fight like, with a guy what new age Mark Andre Barrio is going to do is just stay in your face, yeah. pressure, pressure. Like he's basically fighting like a Jared Gordon style or like peak Jared Gordon style. Um, They're both at like, Sanford MMA right yeah, now as well. Right? In your like face, it's, it's, push the pressure. Um, don't, don't that basically negates any sort of kicks coming back the other way. And his chin seems pretty solid, and he's been able to take all of the punishment coming back. He just stays in your face, throws 120 significant strikes in three rounds. It's tough to win that unless you have real stinging power to stop him from doing that. Yeah, well, I think the other thing worth noting is that look at like the Dolce Lunkenbulia fight. This Dolce doesn't have great cardio, and yet Barrio stands in front of him and lets Dolce unload. Mm-hmm. And the punches that Barrio takes, it's like, oh my God, this guy's got a great chin, but why is he taking them? There's no need to. But he doesn't mind getting hit because he's going to hit you twice back. Chidi's a great striker, right? But if he can take Chidi's best punches, Chidi doesn't like getting pace put on him. He doesn't like that work rate. And you're right, fighting off his back foot's going to be a problem. So I like I like Mark Henry Brario. I think Team Canada pulls one back over here. Uh, I'm hoping we'll talk about Alexis Davis in the next one, but I'm hoping Barrio gets us that win because Hakeem Duwadu loses to Trezano. Unfortunately, for bet purposes, got to go against my uh, country on that. But yeah, I think Barrio's done a really good job at uh, kind of bringing his career back to resurgence since going down to South Florida. Yep, I agree with you. I was actually. That's why I kind of I thought you were going the other way, and I started trying to change the narrative, I guess. But I was leaning towards Mark Andre Barrio to just kind of just keep pushing forward and make this a dirty fight. It seems to be working for him at least the last two fights. Uh, we are not talking about Alexis Davis versus Stolia Stinko next because it's uh, Phil Rowe versus Jason Witt. Uh, Phil Rowe is a minus one thirty favorite. Jason Witt. Can be had for plus 110. This line has definitely been short, shortening over the course of the week. And my initial thought, you know, before watching tape, I was like, ah, maybe, maybe there's some value on Roe here. And then went back and watched Roe's uh, fight last time. Like you, I, I remember being on Roe against Kosi. And I remember cashing the ticket in round two and feeling pretty good about it. But then you go back and watch, and you're like, my God. Like, you know, he got taken down early in that fight. He really pushes into the – he makes some bad decisions a lot of the time. He's pushing into the clinch when he seemed to have uh, Kosi hurt a bunch of times. Um, I would I, – I struggle to ever put money on Jason Whip because I think his chin is an absolute mess. But I do think that the takedowns will be possible – for him to land in this spot. I'm still going to go with Phil Rowe. He's got like a 10-inch reach advantage here. 
you just have to disengage, disengage, stay away, stay away. Um, like even Jason Wood against Brian Barberina, it's like if he, he's got, he gets those takedowns, but even in round three, it's just like he was on death's door. Those the last like 30 seconds of that fight. And Brian Barberina, who also struggles to stop takedowns, gave up like a, you know, a takedown with like 30 seconds left. And then he was able to cruise from there. But like Jason Wood was almost knocked out again. Like he was woozy, probably doesn't remember the end of that fight type of thing. Um, I think eventually Phil Rowe catches him on the feet, but I definitely do see the path to victory because Phil Rowe's takedown defense, incredibly suspect. What about you? Yeah, Phil Rowe's takedown defense is very suspect, but also he's a BJJ black belt, and he's actually a pretty good BJJ black belt. Like, he competes on the scene against guys like Gordon Ryan and Cody Steele, so he's very active in in the grappling community against high-level BJJ black belts, and I think that overconfidence in his game, one of those guys that's like, oh, yeah, take me to the ground, buddy. It's like, no, man, no, it's an MMA fight. You don't want to be giving up ground time, like, fishing for submissions. Jason Witt also being at a glory MMA and fitness, James Kress will have an excellent game plan together for him, which is just, yeah, go complete the takedown, hold this guy down and guard, neutralize his submission attempts, land a little bit of light ground and pound, conserve yourself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if he fights the proper game plan, Jason Witt, live for sure. But uh, I do think this is your live betting spot of the, the whole card, because honestly, as far as I'm concerned, I think Jason Witt does go out there and secure the takedown early, but Philip Rowe is a BJJ black belt, man. The guy does know what he's doing. And he's going to be able to neutralize a lot of what Witt's doing. The second and the third round, Witt exerts himself a lot. You know, he's a muscular guy. And he, uh, I don't want to say it's like nervous energy, but he he uses a little too much energy when he doesn't need to sometimes. Not enough technique, a little more brute strength. And it tires him out. Once he tires out, he's in a compromising situation. When you look at Roe versus Orion Koski his last time out, Koski, just like his brother Lewis, they're very front heavy. They're front runners. They go hard the first three to five minutes, and then they either take you out or they completely gas themselves dry. That's exactly what happened, right? He goes out there. Philip Rowe's good at neutralizing him, tires him out in that second round, puts him away, scores the TKO victory. His fight with Leon Shabazian on the contender series, first couple rounds, competitive. The longer the fight goes, Rowe puts a pace on him. He's able to break him late. He's able to get that late TKO stoppage. When you look at Jason Witt, this is Jason Witt historically, and this is why... Similar to Julian Arosa, you, can, you can't have faith in him. First career loss, Chase ran counter. 56 seconds into round two. Second pro loss against Owen O. Jeremiah Denson. He got choked out in the first round. Uh, Dakota Cochran from the Gay Pornos. Which I'm not just saying that to be mean, by the way. It is Dakota Cochran from the Gay Pornos. <laughs> choked out in the second round. Justin Patterson, 13 seconds into round three. Sure, he made it to round three, but ding, 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 touch gloves, punched out 13 seconds into round three. His next loss, Hugh Pulley, knocked out in the second round. Next loss, Takashi Sato, 48 seconds into the first round. Just two fights ago against Matt Semmelsberger, 16 seconds into the first yeah. round. First punch, first punch that lands. And that Brian Barberina fight, Paul! Paul! Paul. Did Witt deserve to win? Yes, yes, because he did exactly what he had to do. Because he survived, but, but he almost, he almost got knocked out on three separate occasions. Like, uh, we're splitting hairs here, brother. That does not brother. take a very good hairs. punch. No, I mean, no. This cardio's a little off. I like Roe makes bad decisions, but Roe, what? What what's Roe by knockout? I would say Roe second round, Roe third round, Roe knockout. But but I think you're gonna get a much better price here if you just take Roe after that first round. Because Wit's gonna probably take him down early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrestling advantage. 
take him down, stay in his guard, ground and pound him a little bit. Now you're going to get a big plus money tag on Rowe because yeah. they're like, oh, well, Witt's just going to take him down again and do the same thing. And now you're hoping yeah. Rowe puts on the pressure, I, you know what? something to get his attention and so the, on. So. The prices on these props are, are kind of trash, to be perfectly honest right now. So right. you're probably right. I mean, yeah, obviously, maybe Rowe lands early in round one and – well, you don't you don't get the bet off whatsoever, but uh, yeah, it's plus one eighty right now, which I feel like if he is taken down and neutralized and controlled, we know that he can that can happen to him in round one with Roe, and he's still gonna have plenty of energy to get the job done in rounds two and three. Whereas you know, Wits Wits Chin is a liability from Bell to Bell. Um, it's not somebody that I want to ever put money on and I won't. All right. We got, uh, Alexis David, ta- Alexis Davis taking on Julia Stolio Ranko minus two twenty Davis plus one eighty Stolio Stinko. Um, is it another win for team Canada here code? I know. I can't tell you the last time that team Canada had three people in the same card. It was either card in Canada, of course, or like that UFC 58, Canada versus USA. But yeah, yeah, for the most part, uh, I know we trash the card saying it's real low level, and then there's three Canadians on it. Uh, but the, yeah, hope, hopefully we That's the state of Canadian MMA, my friend. That's the state of Canadian MMA. Yeah, this one's a little bit dirty. Alexis Davis, she's obviously, a, I would say, pioneer because she's one of the first great Canadian female fighters. She went over strike force. She did the damn thing. She came to the UFC. She did the damn thing. Fought Ronda Rousey for a world title. Like, did everything you could do in the sport, I think, outside of win, you know, uh, the, the major championship. But, yeah, just like the last couple of years haven't been as kind for her. She's 37 years old. She's obviously had a child. And the, the, the problem with her is uh, – she needs she needs those easy fights just to get a little bit of momentum going, a little bit of confidence going. Because she takes a little, she'll take a little bit of time off. She had the kid. She was away from the sport. She comes back to it. They've given her Caitlin Chikagian. Okay. Well, actually, let's even talk about Liz Carmouche. Liz Carmouche, former world title challenger, currently over in Bellator. I'm pretty sure getting ready to fight for a world title again. Caitlin Chikagian, one of the best girls in the division, former world title challenger. Jennifer Maya with all of them though. Top level, yeah, top level fighter in the division, former world title challenger. Viviana Arroyo. Certainly seems to be making a good name for herself. Likely ends up being a title challenger within the next two or three fights. Sabina Mazo junk, and she wins that fight because she's she's not fraud level yet. She's still that savvy veteran with something to show. And then Penny Kiad's at her last time out. Penny's not a walkthrough, you know. Tough opponent, big strong girl. Got the obviously has a striking advantage. You got to put a pace on her, and she has pace. She has cardio. She's got that grind. It's that you know, she ain't what she used to be. So you give her Stenko, and I think that's just uh, exactly what she needs. These are the type of fights where she should be able to get her game going. Her striking, much better than Julia. Her pace, as as good. Uh, ground game advantage. Her pace It's is that women's MMA has a way to do this to us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Davis has all the weapons to win this fight. It's whether 100%. she puts them all together at this stage of her career. Women's MMA has been known to burn us. You know, these 37-year-old type fighters who got other things going on in their life, that that tends to burn us. And sometimes I tell myself as I'm watching the fight, women's MMA, I wish I was more like Pat. I just randomly bet these long shot underdogs because I'm guaranteeing you he'd be up. He'd be up. He hits these random, only guy I know that hit Amanda Nunez, went again, it's Amanda Nunez, because the theory holds true. Expect the unexpected. This is a fight Davis should win. She should get the victory for Team Canada. She's got the superior skill set all over. 
But one has to wonder if it's not, it's not, would you put it on your top ticket? No. And why? Why is that? It's Julia Stolyostenko. She stinks, pal. You don't want anything to do with this girl, but you still wouldn't top ticket against her. (laughs) Is the stink Stolyostenko or is the stink the shit in my apple pie because I went too heavy on Alexis Davis? Shame on me. One in four in her last five fights, Paul. How much confidence can you really have there? But yeah, talent is a huge thing. Level of opposition is a huge thing. And Davis only fights the creme de la creme. And Stenko, not the creme de la creme. So got to go with my girl, uh, the alligator, Alexis Davis. Davis by decision is even money. I think that's a pretty solid bet. This goes three rounds and, you know, the over is minus 265 to the over. It's just like this goes three rounds. Davis is going to likely win by volume. She has the tools. She she has the ability, I think, in every phase of this. Like, I, I struggle to see where Stuli Aranko has an advantage against her. Like, if it goes to the mat, Alexis yeah, Davis should yeah. be prepared for anything that goes on down there. Um, if this goes three rounds, I feel like Davis is probably going to win a, you know, a pretty convincing uh decision based on volume and you know she'll land like 90 to 100 strikes and Stoller Stinko will land about 40 to 60 and then we'll you know we'll, we'll move on uh, onwards and upwards from there but uh but yeah that's I mean it's a real simplistic way to look at it but I think Davis decision definitely has my attention yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And the last thing there is that Stolia Stenko loves throwing up arm bars, apparently. That's her thing. She calls herself the Lithuanian armbar queen. Like, you're going to submit Alexis Davis with an armbar off your back? No, Good. going to give up position. I hope you throw it. And if anything goes wrong for Davis, if at any point you're like, oh, man, I'd really like to collect my second check. This isn't going my way. Spam clinch up against the cage. Like, what I had seen versus Stolia Renko, uh against Yannis Kunikea, it's like, at any point, if you just want to press her up against the cage... She was, she was defenseless. Nothing she could do about it. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page there, man. 100%. All right, we got Jailton Almeida taking on Danila Marquez. Jailton Almeida, minus 380 favorite. Marquez can be had for plus 290. Went back and watched Jailton Almeida on the Contender Series against, what, Nazardine, Nazardinov or something like that? Yeah. I mean, he definitely has some decent entries for his wrestling. Um, the BJJ is very, very solid. I think that people, you know, the announcers were quite surprised by the fact that this was his game plan to come in there and 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 absolutely dominate the wrestling. He looked very, very solid, but I'm uh, the the stand up with him definitely looks like a work in progress. Um, he doesn't look like, uh, I mean, we didn't see all that much of it in the fight, but um, I'm not sure what to expect from him. Luckily, D- Danilo Marquez, his his striking is even more of a work in progress. My real question for you, maybe you don't even have the answer for, is like, what happens, how competitive is this on the mat if it goes down there between the two of these guys? Because like yeah, I, I don't him... really have that answer, and if if I right. was gonna lay almost four to one on somebody, then I really need to have that answer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, listen, it's a good, great question to have. How good is somebody's grappling? And this is probably going to be grappler versus grappler. Daniel Marquez in all of his fights, despite the fact that the dude's six foot six, the long reach, all of his fights, he's got one singular game plan: 
get this thing to the ground. Shelton mm-hmm. Almeida, meanwhile, it seems like, yeah, his striking work in progress. You said it yourself. He's so big and physically imposing that I'm sure if he was to hit you, he would do a copious amount of damage. He just doesn't set up his strikes all that well. Does his best work on the ground. So you got grappler versus grappler. Who you think is going to be the better grappler? Well, I, I got to go with Jelton Almeida. I learned my lesson with this guy, and I'm looking to back him moving forward. He had a couple decent enough wins, like uh, Edinaldo Oliveira, Ildemar Alcantara. We're talking UFC veterans, past or prime type guys. But he competes often in these like Brazilian grappling tournaments. You know, they're three, four matches in the same day. Goes out, gets the victories. He signs on the contender series against Nasruddin Nasruddinov. The biggest thing for me was going to be, I didn't think he had great striking. And with that much muscle mass, there's no way this guy can keep a pace going. Not going to happen. The majority of his wins show quick finishes. So in my mind, quick finish doesn't happen here against Nasser Dinov. He's going to fall apart. I was wrong, dude. This guy's cardio looked tight. Like for a guy that's that big and that strong, uh, he, he gassed out Nasser Dinov, took him to where he wanted to take him, and beat him up bad in that second round before choking him out. Solid victory. Cash and underdog take it there, right? He was, a, he was a plus 165 underdog. I didn't have him. I went with a scary-looking Russian. But this is a solid victory for him. Daniel Marquez, meanwhile, his level of competition has been just extremely low. He, he beat Katie Sabragimov and Mike Rodriguez with his grappling. Well, Katie Sabragimov, one of the biggest frauds to fight in the UFC in a long time, right? Not a good grappler. So you can show out against a guy like that. What would have Almeida done to him? Smoked him, I think. The Mike Rodriguez fight, go back and watch that one. Oh, man. Daniel Marquez, like, you can take Mike Rodriguez down easy. You can lie down on Mike Rodriguez easy. Rodriguez just gasses. But someone even half a bit more competent would have given him some serious problems in that spot. I think Almeida will. And that Kenji fight his last time out, he starts off well, first couple rounds, but he gasses. Now, here's the problem in those fights. He gasses pretty much in all of his fights. And they're extremely low work rate fights. Like the Kennedy fight, he just took him down and held him down. At what point did he exhaust himself that bad? The Mike Rodriguez fight, he, he's tired in the second round. Didn't really do a whole lot. The Casey Bragamo fight, I'll give him his, a little bit of credit there because it's his UFC debut and it was a little bit short notice, I think. so. But all the same, cardio doesn't seem to be a weapon of his. He's 36 years old. This is all going to be a problem. He lost to Gabriel Checo at Submission Underground. Gabriel Checo, not good. All of this leads to grappler versus grappler. Almeida is the bigger, stronger, more physical guy. I think he's got the cardio edge. I think that what's going to happen is he's going to be the one. He's got great entries. And against a tall guy like six foot six, he'll be able to get double underhooks, either press him up against the cage or get him in the open field, peel him to the ground. Once the fight hits the ground, you've got big, strong, muscular, physical guy on top versus long limb guy on the bottom. He'll be trying to isolate an arm, throw up triangles and arm bars, but Almeida's not an idiot. He should shut that off. He should land some ground and pound. And eventually, as the fight wears out, Daniel Marquez is just going to slow out and become more tired and more tired. But a minus 380 price tag. God yeah. damn, we're dude. Paying, we're paying the price of it, man. I know, I know. That's, that's For the a guy's UFC debut against somebody who else is, who has at least... Yeah, I mean, you know, watching the Kennedy and Juku fight, it's like, how good is Marquez's grappling, really? He was, he had the back for a minute, or, well, like, seven seven minutes in that fight. Had the standing backpack and wasn't able to do anything with it. Obviously, round three completely gasses out. Absolutely uh, tears up all of my tickets, because I I thought that this guy was going to be able to find a sub. He was going to be able to exploit it. And he kind of was able to exploit that situation. But you knew when it went got to round three, I was just like, 
oh, I'm absolutely screwed. This guy's dead. All right, finally, we've got Dennis Bondar taking on Malcolm Gordon. Minus 240 Bondar, plus 200 Gordon. Um, we've said many times on this on this uh, show that Malcolm Gordon cannot take a punch. Uh, Francisco Fr- uh, Figueredo proved that he does not have Davison's power by any stretch of the imagination, which is something that we did fear. Um, he didn't really look, you know, you couldn't find him on tape, like absolutely blasting dudes. And you need to have a certain level of power to knock out Mal- Malcolm Gordon. But it seems like Dennis Bondar has some pretty decent power. He gets a lot of first round finishes. Uh, is this a setup for Bondar? Because it kind of seems like it on paper. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a setup for Bondar. I mistakenly said we had three Canadians on the show earlier, but yeah, yeah, we got Malcolm Gordon uh, coming off his first victory in the UFC, so got to feel good. But I think he's got a four-fight deal. This is the fourth fight in his deal, and they're not making it easy to get the re-sign taking on Dennis Bondar. Um, when we all talk about, well, what's the underdog's path of victory? Malcolm Gordon's path of victory, he is a better striker. This fight's hitting the ground, but Dennis Bondar is taking him down. He needs to try to fish for like a submission off his back. He needs to throw up a triangle. He needs to just catch something which he is capable of doing. But outside of that, Darius Bondar is seems a lot more relentless. He's just one of these guys that's going to grind on you. He loves to just go for those takedowns, and he's got good grappling. Gordon, meanwhile, keep in mind, his fight with uh, Amir Al-Bazi, he gets rocked, and then he ends up getting caught in a triangle choke. So as good as because he, he's a BJJ black belt, he got choked out by Amir Al-Bazi, who's a stud. Fine. The Sumiderji fight, we already knew he had a weak chin. Sumiderji knocks him out. Dimitri Waterberg knocked him out. Austin Ryan knocked him out. Randy Turner knocked him out. Malcolm Gordon, Chinny. Yeah, okay, we've established he's Chinny. The Francisco Figueredo fight, um, beyond Figueredo not having the power of his brother, it was that he was completely gassed, Paul. I mean, this guy is done. He's cooked, and he's still taking down Malcolm Gordon. So that, to me, was a giant issue because Bondar's got an infinitely deeper gas tank. He's got better wrestling, and I think he's going to be continuously taking him down. The one thing I will admit, uh, Malcolm Gordon shows the four knockout losses. His fight with Jordan Graham, TKO 42. Jordan Graham's lighting him up, beating him up in striking, hits him, hurts him, fight hits the ground, creates a scramble. He just locks right onto a triangle. Kimura, this thing is nasty. Props to Jordan Graham for fighting for as long as he did, but eventually dislocates his elbow. It was like, oh, damn. You know, he was hurt standing, but his grappling is pretty good. His fight with Yoni Sherbatov, he's this close away from getting knocked out. He's getting lit up. Yoni Sherbatov has got him done in the first round. He gets over antsy, goes in for the kill, and guy Malcolm Gordon just transitions, takes his back, both hooks in, puts a rear naked choke in, chokes him out. He has done it before. I think Bondar is not going to look to strike with him much, but I think he's just going to routinely take him down and grind him. The one worry is he throws up some trick because he's done it before. Maybe maybe he locks on to something, but on a card where you're going to have to pull the trigger on some of these guys, Dennis Bondar looks like the uh, kind of guy I want to get into business with. I, I like so far what he showed from his regional show career, and I do think the UFC's setting this kid up for a bright future. Yeah, and there aren't too many, uh, not many, not many books yet that have you know Bondar Bondar props out yet, but uh, definitely have a look out for those if you can get some plus money on him by winning by knockout or you know even more than that like i mean i don't even know is there an available line on like bondar round one let me just have a look out here on the old like this is the one this is the fight obviously that the books have been a little bit slow to the draw uh bondar bondar wins in round one i see a plus 275 out there right now 
Um, as more books. That's so, a good. That's a pretty good opportunity for a, a fighting. You know, for a guy who has you know explosive power, taking on somebody who has a massive history of getting iced early and often. It actually seems pretty decent, to be perfectly honest. So I may take a little little poke at that. But yeah, what I'm look, I'll probably take a little shot of this Bondar round one, uh, Castaneda uh, at plus one sixty, plus one seventy ish that I see out there right now. Trezano plus one fifty five, and Davis by decision. Those are the spots that have my attention as we. Uh, as we wrap up the show here. So without further ado, Cody, hit him with the PRP. All right, hit him with the PRP. We're going with Sean Strickland. Uh, we're we're going to go Soriano. That one could change, though, for some reason. But, yeah, I mean, we got to go Soriano, right? Strickland, Soriano, Rachmanov, Brandon Allen, Brian Battle, dog number one, Julian Arosa, John Castaneda, dog number two, Mike Trezano, dog number three, Marc-Andre Berrio, Philip Rowe. You can make him dog number four if you take him after round one. Alexis Davis, Jailton Almeida, and Dennis Bondar. Um, the last thing I'll leave you with the Dennis Bondar thing, we'll move there, is that it's his first fight in almost two years. He's had one fight since 2019 against a nobody. He pulled out of his Odie Osborne fight. He pulled out of his Victor Rodriguez fight. His country's currently in like some political turmoil. I don't know that I, you know, I don't want to top ticket this guy, but he looks like he should walk right through Gordon. He is the play. We're not going to change on that one. It is going to be Bondar, but that's uh, when we talk about top ticket guys. Okay, Sean Strickland, he's main event, gives us our hedged opportunity. We like that. Rockmanov, he's always a top ticket guy in my mind because Carlson Harris, I'm not sure I'm rushing to put him on there. I, I want Julian Arosa, but you were so harsh on him earlier. Not harsh on him. You're re- so realistic on him earlier. I mean, it's that, one of those cards. Uh, yeah, it's got man. me you're thinking, have to be, dude. You're gonna have to be uncomfortable. Um, you're gonna have to be. Uncomfortable, or you're yeah. gonna have then, to do because what? Because then you do make right. Alexis Davis, Jailton Almeida, Mark Andre Barrio. Those are the pieces that you like. Mike Trezano is my dog of the week. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those cards, dude. This is what we do. It's the business we're in. And uh, hopefully we get through these uncomfortable situations and make it a profitable and good time. A hundred percent. We're all in it for a good time. Not necessarily a long time, but a good time. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Pat Mayo and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh.